Top Chat with Dr. Teresa Burke. Hello, Teresa, and thank you so much for giving time to Top Chat with us today about all the extraordinary things that you're doing through the grace of God and in obedience to the Holy Spirit and under the mantle of Our Lady. And in fact, it really seemed to start like that, that we met thanks to a prayer group meeting of Pure in Heart and the system not working, and all of a sudden there you were in the kitchen in London making a cup of coffee, and you came and spoke to us about Rachel Vineyard and all the other work you're doing. So I'm not really quite sure where to start, um, but I'll see if perhaps you've got somewhere in mind. Thank you. Well, I was really excited to meet everybody last night, and it was a coincidence or a God incidence that I was just down there at that moment, and um, I'm here in London to do a Grief to Grace retreat. I've been facilitating these retreats for healing after uh, sexual abuse or abuse of any kind, which can also include neglect. We're also working with a lot of victims of clergy abuse within the Catholic Church and many denominations because, as you know, sexual addiction is a problem around the world, and uh, the porn industry itself brings in more billions and billions of dollars, more money than the biggest blockbuster videos and movies. So it's a huge industry that impacts every country and uh, a lot of men and women who are involved in in the addiction and in the selling of this. So we know that the Lord wants to heal us. We know that the Lord wants to bring freedom to captives and certainly anybody who is imprisoned by abuse of any form is a captive and so are the people enslaved by the addictive behaviors that drive that. So I'm here in London. Our retreat starts tomorrow and I'm working very closely with Father Dominic Allen who has been named the International Pastoral Director of Grief to Grace Ministries, and he's stationed here in London. And so here we are from Heathrow College, uh, about to embark on this. The nuns here at the convent have given us office space for uh, Grief to Grace to be a training center for Europe. So we're here to bring light to the darkness, to help the church in Europe and in America as well. And uh, a lot of people might have heard of not necessarily me, but our work, my work, um, which is the creation of the treatment models for trauma. I, I designed Rachel's Vineyard Retreats for Healing After Abortion Support Group Models. Our ministry, Rachel's Vineyard, is in 83 countries now. It's in 32 languages. There's about 100,000 volunteers throughout the world, so it's really a lay movement of the spirit. We work together with clergy who come on our retreats to integrate people's lives. And when I say integrate, I mean that the Lord cares about our wounds. And a lot of times, especially good Catholics, think that he just cares about our good works and he cares about all the things that we do right. And sometimes I think people develop split lives, the part of them that's wounded that they try to cover, they try to hide, they try to not let anyone see, which ends up taking on its own life in a secret life. And then there's the good part of themselves. So there's like a division among a lot of people of all that is good with them, which everyone has inherent good. We're created in the image and likeness of God. And then they also have, you know, the ways that they act out of their woundedness if it's not healed. And that's why I see Rachel's Vineyard, Grief to Grace, our program for soldiers, Duty to Heal, as a way to bring together the good and the bad that exists in all of us because we're not good or bad. We're somewhere in that murky middle of... Our humanity, which is very frail, which can tend to sin and 
And uh, the Lord just wants to heal us. So I love these programs because they do bring restoration. They bring freedom. And they bring an integration of the human body, mind, soul, spirit into one, into one whole person. And that's what being holy means, to be whole. To be whole in Jesus Christ, in whom we take our model for leadership, for being a human. And there are many parts of us that the Lord wants to redeem, and he needs to redeem that so that we can be more effective witnesses to build his kingdom and to do great things, you know, in his name and through his church and through the brokenness of his people. The Lord came and he he dined with sinners and he challenged the authorities and the Pharisees. And, you know, nothing in our humanity has really changed in 2,000 years. You know, we're we're still the same that we were then because we're people, we're human, and we need a Savior. So this is a treatment model to bring Christ into the deepest places of our woundedness in a very, what I call a sensory-based treatment, which uh, isn't about talk therapy. It's about rituals for grieving, for grieving everything bad that's happened to you, for grieving the insults and injuries that people have suffered through abortion, through abuse, through the war, and the violence and the um, you know, the death and destruction that is so much part of this culture of death. What I find so compelling, apart from the way the Holy Spirit and Our Lady is working through all of this and the fruitfulness that all of this is born, is what hope it brings and the reality of Jesus that we need to repent. We have to acknowledge our sinfulness. And I think part of the world's seeming inability to acknowledge sinfulness is because I think there's this sense that if we do, we're we're completely lost because there isn't a sense that we can be redeemed. That somehow we've either got to be perfect or if if we're sinful, then we're completely a goner. And that that sinfulness is, we're able to acknowledge that because, because there is an answer. There's love, who is Jesus. And he came not just to reveal the truth of ourselves to us, not in a way to condemn it, but so that we could turn to him and be redeemed I think that's somehow we we've often sort of mishy-mushed the truth because we think it's going to be too hard (laughs) the truth has to be acknowledged but the truth is only there for love to be fully lived I mean there cannot be truth without love and love without truth somehow the two the need for the two and I think so often in so many of these situations where there is such deep woundedness and hurt and sinfulness we get stuck quite often with the judgment of it and then don't move beyond that and to realize that Christ came to redeem that situation. And I think we're very much stuck in the tomb with so much of this, especially in regards to abortion. So we've just been cut out. I'm not sure if the system will cope with that. But how much hope there is in these scenarios. And the two things that stayed with me last night was how your yes after having been to Medjugorje and giving it all, God has has used your life in the most extraordinary way to bear fruit, and your training in psychiatry was was psychology. In, in psychology, and the other thing was the theatre aspect to do with the reenactment of these retreat weekends, and the beauty of that, and that sort of sense of the wholeness of who we are. How often we divorce the spirit from the body, and this this understanding of the two and the beauty of that. So I. Sorry to bring them both to you at the same time, but that's what I'd love to hear a little bit more about. That's a mouthful. Um, well, first of all, my my background, um, I learned a lot about my faith through my family. My family was incredibly 
beautiful Orthodox from Poland. My grandfather was from Poland, so shared that genetic history with John Paul II and a great devotion amidst a lot of persecution. So um, our family grew up saying the rosary all the time. And when I was a young adult, I went to teach skiing in Switzerland. And uh, when the snow melted, I put on my backpack and traveled to Marian Apparition Shrines with my sister. We went to Lourdes and Fatima and Garabandel and uh, Knock and La Salette, all the great places. And that's where I wanted to launch my writing career because I thought I was going to be a writer. And I am a writer. I've written many books, but I didn't know that the Lord had all these other plans for me as well. So at these places I learned, um, actually had a conversion experience because I went to college in London at Richmond University for a time. And then I had a conversion at Lourdes. I went on spring break over to Lourdes and climbed up the top of the church and looked down on the people and anything in my life that wasn't in quite alignment because, you know, after you leave the nest of your parents. And we had like a strict family. So there's like a small period in my life where I, you know, just, sort of left all that for a little bit and came back quickly because I realized that the world didn't offer a whole lot. But in my journeys, did this skiing teaching in Switzerland for a couple years. And then we learned that Our Lady was appearing in Medjugorje. And my parents were coming over to Rome for the opening beatification trials of Padre Pio. So they were there in Rome and we were somewhere hitchhiking through Santander, Spain. And um, we heard they were coming, so we agreed to meet in Rome. And when we got there, they told us that Our Lady was in Medjugorje. So we ended up crossing the uh, Adriatic Ocean. It was in 1981. So we learned that the pastor was in prison and the um, visionaries were constantly being harassed and questioned. And that was the backdrop that we ended up in this communist country and kind of snuck in a priest met us in plain clothes in a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning because that's when we got there and hustled us to a, a place where we could stay. And every night we were in the apparition room. I was as close the way I am speaking to you, to the visionaries, and I felt the presence of Our Lady. I never saw anything. I never saw the sun spin. I never saw any of those things that other pilgrims have reported. But we captured up close on video the visionaries, the message. We interviewed the priests and nuns there, and we bought the message back home. We actually smuggled out the tapes because I played the banjo. My sister played guitar. And when we were crossing through the border, they thought that that equipment was for our band. So we put that together as a movie, and it went around the world, was translated into many languages. But it was there in that apparition room where I really felt the presence of Our Lady. I was there every night and the fervor of the people, like praying and kneeling for so many hours, and the messages of Our Lady of peace, prayer, penance, fasting, and conversion. And um, it was there that I said, I'm jack of all trades, master of none, but Blessed Mother, if there's something in this world that you need from me, I'm here for you. And that was my fiat, just to say, use my life. So we have to be careful what we offer because... The Lord and um, Our Lady will take advantage of it because she knows what we're speaking. But in the, in the most wonderful way, though, it's, I, I don't think we'd have the courage to do things if we could see it all ahead of time. Oh, you but know. It doesn't get any better, really. My husband and I always said if we, uh, if we knew what was in store for us, we would have ran screaming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we knew what, like, it, it, because you're living the cross, it's the agony and the ecstasy of a perfect cross. If you don't have suffering, it's not really the cross. If you don't have this incredible joy that motivates and inspires and keeps you going and persevering despite 
all the obstacles of living the gospel in a culture of yeah. death. And it really wouldn't be authentic vocation, I think. So those challenges are part of being a Christian. I, I, I know that, to be sure. But um, the joy of living in this place of grace and resurrection and the miracles that we witness in our ministries of Grief to Grace, Rachel's Vineyard, and soon with the soldiers, because this is where all the damage is, and that's why the Lord came to heal that. So that was my background. And... Um, from there, um, you said about theatre. Right. Well, also your background as a psychologist. So you went yeah. off and then trained as a psychologist. Well, first I was directing plays in you know, high schools, and I was studying theatre. I thought I wanted to run a theatre or use sort of like the the depth and the reality and the truth of music and multimedia to bring the message of the gospel. I thought that would be a creative way. Uh, the Lord had other plans. I went from drama to psychodrama. <laughs> I developed a program that's just so unique, which is why I know is very successful, is because it was almost like a script where we would bring to life the Gospels. So the living scripture technique that is unique to Rachel's Vineyard Grief to Grace and my healing programs, I call it living scripture, where we bring a scripture to life. I think the example I gave the other night was Blind Bartimaeus, where you're the blind person. And first we read the scripture. Then we turn out all the lights, and it's dark, so you know what it's like. Everyone's invited to close their eyes. And you go through a meditation where you're the blind person. You've heard about all the miracles. You've heard about the healing. And something begins to stir inside you that makes you want to seek a healing. And this is a very beautiful scripture because for a blind man to regain sight means that his whole world and his whole reality and who he is in the community and to himself, a blind beggar, is going to radically change. And a lot of people are uh, content with the familiar. They don't really want new life because it's so frightening to them because it requires a whole new identity. And so no matter what the living scripture is, whether it's the story of Lazarus where you're invited to new life in Christ, people are confronted with the obstacles that make them fear that. And so in these experiences, sort of like that conflict can come up that you want something, but you're also comfortable in the, and you're comfortable in the familiar, even though the cave is stinky and the death is horrible and it's isolating and it's lonely. It feels so threatening to imagine yourself living something that you don't know what that would be. So in this living scripture, the facilitators would go around, and if they were coming to you, Ruth, they would say, Ruth, take courage. He's calling you. You would say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And then he would put his hand on your head and say, what do you want me to do for you, standing in the place of Christ? And then you're invited to answer, what are you seeking? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And then you answer him. And I love our living scriptures because they take out the middleman. You're not talking to a therapist. You're talking to God, and the soul recognizes Truth, and we you, we talked a lot about truth. Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. And so when that person who represents all truth, all love, all light is standing before you, there's a quickening. You recognize that. Even if you're an atheist, even if you're someone that doesn't believe in God or believes in New Age theologies, that this is why I love, because the Lord transcends time and space. He's very present. And He's present to us through the power of the Word that we hear and then we meditate on. And all the latest neuroscience is showing that when there's been trauma, that the left and the right brain separates. 
and either the right brain or the left brain is in charge. So people are either very aroused and frightened or they can dissociate and not be able to think or speak about their experience. Brain scans show us that the Broca's area completely shuts down, which means they can't even talk about their traumatic experience or they're either completely cut off and they're numb. So someone who's had an abortion or who's been involved in abuse in some way, they they could have this numbness that says, oh, it's fine, it didn't hurt me at all. And there's a complete disconnect and a cutoff from the reality of their experience, which we found is stored in their body as like blocked energy, blocked spirit. Or they're so aroused that they can't talk about it without weeping profusely. And so that's the split between the emotional part of the brain and the um, cognitive part. So the frontal cortex, not to get too scientific here, but that integrates our emotional and our cognitive experience because if they're separated, you're either overreacting or you're totally numb. And that is accomplished by meditation, by prayer. This is uh, University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, where I live and where I did uh, a lot of work. They actually have brain scans where they can show that they studied Tibetan monks and cloistered nuns in deep states of prayer, and they show that the frontal cortex lights up and is able to integrate when they're in deep states of prayer. So I designed these programs long before I knew the neurological science that is just now kind of coming to the forefront because we have equipment that can take pictures of the brain. A lot of times they used to say that a victim is just hanging on to their problem or they don't want to heal or they're, they're getting something out of it or they're seeking attention. It's completely not true. There's actually something going on in the brain that prevents the integration and prevents the healing. So someone who's been in therapy for 30 years is still just as aroused and disturbed when they confront memories of their trauma as they were when it happened. And that's what the flashbacks are all about, post-traumatic stress disorder. So this actually became my specialty. And then understanding traumatic reenactment. So what, specialty because you did study psychology. Yes, yeah, I did my doctoral dissertation on um, traumatic reenactment and all the ways that if someone hasn't processed and fully integrated and fully healed from their pain, they're going to keep repeating it. So the pattern of multiple abortions, that the repetition is a way that people through 10, 12, 15, I've worked with people who had 21 abortions. They just keep going back to repeat the tragedy because that's the way they're trying to master the traumatic experience. And um, abortion is just bad, and so is sexual abuse. And a lot of these women with histories of abortion had histories of sexual abuse. The abortion was a way that they engaged in a traumatic reenactment of shame, secrecy, a violation to a place so sacred where we where we reproduce the life that's created in the image and likeness of God. And because of any abuse that a woman has suffered or a man has suffered, that image of God that is a gift that the Lord gives us in our creation, it's many times that can be almost like aborted. But, you know, as the Holy Father John Paul II said, nothing is definitively lost. Your children are with God, and all the Catholic theology speaks of a resurrection that we can all experience in our own lives after we travel the paschal mystery of our own suffering, the suffering and death that we endure caused by sin in our lives, and uh, if we are able to unite that suffering in a meaningful way. And I don't mean, I don't mean a heady way, an intellectual way. This is the real work in the trenches of grieving of um, crying, of letting yourself experience anger because of everything that's been lost and uniting all that humanity, all that suffering, all that passion to the cross 
and traveling with Jesus through a journey to resurrection and to new life. And embracing that new life, which is what I said a lot of people are afraid to do, is really the work of aftercare and then Christian community. And we do these in groups because the Lord always performed his miracles in front of Christian community. And in the early days of Christians, confession was also in front of Christian community. Recognizing your sins and having accountability in the relationships, which is why Christian community groups like we met with last night are so important. We can really help each other nurture your faith, live the gospel of your life, and we need support to do that. We're not meant to live alone in caves, and dismantling the secret is a great piece of healing. And we've learned from the errors of the church even in trying to cover up the secret that it makes the problem worse. It really causes a further division, a further splitting in the human person, and um, these underground lives that act out in secret (laughs) and then perform in public as good people. So there's every reason to support and promote and become a part of. And if uh, any of the people out there are listening and need this healing for themselves, we invite you to look for Rachel's Vineyard on the website. There's retreats all over the world that you can go to in both Catholic and interdenominational settings. And then also Grief to Grace for healing the wounds of abuse and reclaiming the gift of human dignity. And then we're also launching a new initiative under the Living Scripture Institute where we're licensing people for this work because we have ambassadors and missionaries going all over the world. So if you're a young person looking for a lifetime vocation, we will equip you and license you to use these programs and train. And the church all over the world is in need of these. And we have invitations that I cannot even keep up with. We need languages translated. So the work of the new evangelization is before us. And, uh, you know, in a culture of death, there's no greater place to be putting our energies into building a culture of life. And that's what Jesus did. I mean, God himself used the death and destruction of his own son to bring our redemption. And the Lord can use these wounds because it's in the despair and the the complete decimation sometimes of a person's life that, that we reach out for a savior. And some people, until all that pride is broken and they've hit rock bottom, they don't believe that Anything can help them until they they reach out in desperation. And that's when we want people to know that the Lord is there. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to those who grieve and mourn. And he's also very close to those who seek justice. So this is our mission for these disenfranchised grief issues of today. And that's where Jesus would be. And that's where he is, actually. He's here. He's here with this work. And he's here with those who are conducting it, and he's certainly here drawing forth. And if you're listening, you have to see this as an invitation for your own healing or for someone you love that has been touched by these wounds. I just want to give thanks. Just thanks to God for his wondrousness and the hope that comes with Jesus. For me, seeing how using our gifts and understanding how we are as a person, but uniting that to Christ for me, it's such a joy to hear about because I think we need all our, our training and our everything else. And that being with people who don't have faith, you can link up in lots of ways. But, but that if you know Christ and that you don't put him in the picture as well, we need Christ more than we need anything else in the world. And he's the center of it all. And 
we have been given such such wonderful examples by our Holy Fathers recently of this uniting of all that is good in man to Christ. And that is what I see so much in your ministry. And that especially faced with so many situations of what seems like such despair in the world now, that the answer is Christ. And that that going any other way isn't going to help us. Christ is the answer. And if you're listening, what I heard you say is that you don't have to know that Christ is the answer to come along. You have atheists and others that come along to the retreat weekends too. And there is a respect for everyone's own journey of faith that that Christ is part of your answer, but you don't expect people to be there to come and participate. I think that's a, a beautiful sign of the openness of what Christ was all about. Well, he wasn't exclusive, and he sent the missionaries out to the Gentiles as well. So we we want to go to every nation to break down the strongholds of evil, to bring the love and the light and the truth of God's reality, which is meant for all of us to share, and then to share everlastingly in the life after this one. So that that reality, even with abortion healing, that your children are with the Lord, we invite people into a spiritual relationship with their own children who they're going to be reunited with after this life. And that is a great hope. In the same way you would want to feel that hope with a loved one that dies and we help people to see that their child is an intercessor before the throne of God who is inviting a relationship, a spiritual relationship. The same that you would have with a grandfather who passed or a mother. And you know when you've lost somebody close to you, you feel their presence the reality of the veil between heaven and earth in these programs is sort of lifted and you feel and you experience a taste of the divine in in all its splendor in the power of the resurrection that's happening in your own life and being witness to that resurrection in all those who journey with you. And that's where the people who have no faith, their faith is strengthened because they're watching miracles right in front of them. And then they too want to reach out. So it does remove barriers. I love the groups as opposed to one-on-one. I do a lot of psychotherapy. And um, there's nothing that I could give a person in psychotherapy that that could compare to what I see happen to people in this group where we're bringing them before the divine physician. And uh, a lot of professionals that I train throughout the world almost have to unlearn everything they've learned to be at use for the Holy Spirit, because his ways are different than our ways, and uh, a lot of professionals feel that it's their job to fix somebody, and it's really not. It's the Lord's job. All we can do is put them in a place where they can encounter him and feel him and experience him as we incarnate his love, his non-judgment, his extreme respect for the human person, and uh his gentleness, because the Lord will not impose himself upon us, especially for those wounded who've had their boundaries broken in various forms of sexual and physical abuse, in abortion where their boundaries have been broken so violently to have a child, you know, uh, destructively and violently taken from them. He will never impose himself. So every living scripture exercise in our programs, and there's one after the other. If one doesn't get you, another one will, you know, to penetrate those barriers that we put up between ourselves and our own self, you know, that splits in the self, and between ourselves and God who wants to heal us. So um, it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful process that removes the barriers and lifts the veil of all the lies 
and restores truth to who we are before God and restores the truth of our love for our children, for ourselves even, because people who've been abused and hurt so badly end up hating themselves and then they end up in very self-destructive, self-punishment cycles. And all this is just not what God wants for us. He wants us to live. He came that we might have life and to have it to the full. And we can't imagine. I think a lot of people learn to just tolerate how it is. They learn to live with it. All right, this isn't what I wanted for my life, but I can kind of get by. And they settle. And the Lord doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to seek. So all these opportunities for healing, even if you think, oh, I've learned to live with my abortion or all that abuse sucked, but I can carry on. Um, that's not what he wants. He wants us to have, we, he wants us to be better than we were before the injury. Can you imagine that? Better than we were before that happened. And that's what healing does. Not only does it strengthen you in the places of weakness, but then you can use all that horror to help others, which is why our program has spread all over the world, because it's been spread by the people whose lives it's changed. It hasn't been spread by the top-down authorities. It's the grassroots in the trenches, those who are suffering, who have so much to teach us, and um, who in their humility and in their brokenness really reveal the power of God. So that's, that's the blessing and that's the grace. Thank you very much, Teresa. Joseph Tours, for the most tip-top, top chat.